Welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast, where our experts discuss pressing issues and trends faced by the business world today. Hi everyone, my name is Rob Tang and I'm a counsel based in the Sydney office of Clifford Chance, specialising in international arbitration. I'm also joined today by my colleague Christine Wang, who's also based in Sydney and specialises in arbitration as well. Hi everyone. This is the second episode in our Australian Arbitration podcast mini-series. Today, we'll be discussing the recoverability of third-party funding costs in arbitration. This is increasingly relevant as we see a rise in funding activity in the international commercial arbitration sphere. In awarding costs, every arbitral tribunal is faced with at least two questions. First, which party must pay the costs? And second, what category of costs can be recovered by the successful party? So today we'll be addressing a few issues, namely, whether a tribunal has the power to award third-party funding costs, the English High Court case of SR versus Norskut, and things to be aware of when seeking recovery of third-party funding costs. This is an important area given that a third-party funder is not privy to the arbitration agreement, from which jurisdiction is fundamentally derived. What this means is that first, funders lack the necessary standing to recoup their costs from a tribunal. And secondly, tribunals similarly cannot compel a third-party funder to pay an adverse costs order. Before we dive into these issues, could you, Christine, please explain to our listeners what the meaning of third-party funding is? Sure thing. So as some of our listeners may be aware, third-party funding is capable of various definitions and has been described by some as being nebulous and having definitional difficulty. So our working definition of a third-party funding agreement, drawing from the ICA Queen Mary Task Force on third-party funding, is an agreement for an entity that is not a party to the dispute to provide funds for all or part of the cost of the proceedings in exchange for remuneration or reimbursement, which is dependent on the outcome of the dispute, provided through a grant or in return for a premium. It should be noted here that litigation funding is only one of many forms of third-party funding in international arbitration. Other forms of third-party funding can include success-based legal fee arrangements, such as contingency fee arrangements and conditional fee arrangements. And there's also insurance policies, such as before the event and after the event insurance. That's a very useful outline for when we think about what types of funding arrangement costs are recoverable. Moving on, could you please explain to our listeners whether arbitral tribunals even have the power to award costs dealing with third-party funding? Sure thing. So as a starting point, there are actually very few institutional rules with provisions that deal specifically with third-party funding. Now there are two which come to my mind. The first is Article 35 of the 2017 SEAC Investment Arbitration Rules which provides that an arbitral tribunal may take into account any third-party arrangements when ordering its award on legal or other costs. Similarly, Article 34.1 of the 2018 HKIAC Administered Arbitration Rules provides that when determining the costs of the arbitration, the tribunal may take into account any third-party funding arrangement. My understanding is that unlike the HKIAC rules and the CIAC rules that you have just mentioned, the majority of institutional rules and conventions are silent as to the recoverability of third-party funding. Is that right? 
That's correct, Rob. It's quite unsurprising given that third-party funding is a relatively recent phenomenon. However, there are some procedural rules and domestic laws which allow for the recovery of other costs incurred by the parties of the arbitration. Some key examples include Article 38.1 of the ICC rules, which provides a decision as to the cost of the arbitration can include reasonable, legal and other costs incurred by the parties for the arbitration. Similarly, the wording of legal and other costs is emulated in Section 59 of the 1996 English Arbitration Act. Article 40, subarticle 2E of the 2013 Uncetral Arbitration Rules similarly defines costs to include legal and other costs incurred by the parties in relation to the arbitration to the extent the amount of such costs is reasonable. And finally, Section 74 of CAP 609 Arbitration Ordinance in Hong Kong provides that the tribunal has discretion in relation to the awarding of costs, including those reasonably incurred in the preparation of the proceedings, how much is to be awarded, to whom, and in what manner those costs are to be paid. It is otherwise silent on the issue of the recovery of third-party funding costs. What's interesting is that these rules that you've just mentioned don't specifically require these so-called other costs to be legal costs, nor do they expressly prohibit the recovery of third-party funding costs. Therefore, there is room to argue that third-party funding arrangements fall within the scope of the recoverable so-called other costs. The other thing to be aware of is that some of these rules, such as the ICC rules and the ANSI trial rules, require these so-called other costs to be incurred in the preparation of the proceedings, or require some other connection to the proceedings. That's right, Rob. And another thing to note is that whether these rules expressly contemplate third-party funding costs, or whether they contemplate quote-unquote other costs more broadly, the decision on allocation of costs rests ultimately within the discretion of the tribunal. Yes, that's right. This means that the tribunal may consider a number of factors when making such an award. This brings us to the landmark 2016 UK High Court decision of SR versus Norskut. Could you please explain to our listeners what happened in that case? Certainly. So in this decision, the High Court dealt with an application to set aside an ICC arbitration award. The arbitration was brought before a sole arbitrator between ESSA Oilfields Services Limited and Norskit Rig Management Private Limited. The arbitration was brought for reputatory breach of an operations management agreement. The arbitrator ordered ESSA to pay costs on an indemnity basis. This included a substantial amount which Norskit had paid to a third-party funder. The arbitrator held that Norskit was entitled to the costs of the litigation funding it had obtained in order to bring the arbitration, and held that he was empowered to order the recovery of such costs under the category of quote-unquote other costs for the purpose of Section 59, subsection 1c of the English Arbitration Act. And what did the High Court determine? So the High Court confirmed the award, holding that quote-unquote other costs included third-party funding costs as a matter of language, context, and logic. For example, the High Court stated that the correct approach was to take a functional approach to the term other costs and costs of the proceeding. The court asked, do the costs relate to the arbitration and are they for the purposes of it? In other words, were these costs incurred in order to bring or defend the claim? The court held that the lack of a specific reference in the English Arbitration Act 
to third-party funding in its definition of costs is hardly surprising and ultimately immaterial. You mentioned that the court took note of context when it made its decision. I recall that the High Court noted the arbitrator's comments about the exploitative nature of SR during the arbitration. There was a suggestion by the arbitrator that SR knew that Norska could not finance its own costs and that SR had deliberately caused or substantially contributed to Norskut's impecuniosity. That's correct. Another circumstance which was in Norskut's favour was that the arbitrator was convinced that there was no alternative source of funding available to Norskut in order to pursue its claim. Putting aside the question of whether an arbitral tribunal has the power to award such costs, a question which commonly arises is the extent to which the tribunal's decision is affected by context-specific factors. Drawing from SR versus Norskut, for example, such factors may include the perceived bad faith of one of the parties. What are some of the other considerations you think might come into play for the tribunal? A key consideration in my mind is the criterion of reasonableness. The requirement of reasonableness exists in the UNSA trial rules, the ICC rules, and the arbitration ordinance, which we just discussed, and has been considered by the ICC in its report on decisions on costs in international arbitration, and has been recognised as an important check and balance in protecting against unfair or unequal treatment of parties. The concept of reasonableness manifests in two respects. First, a tribunal may consider if the costs have been reasonably incurred. As was seen in ESSA versus Norskut, a tribunal might find, in the specific circumstances, that it was reasonable for a claimant who was made impecunious by the respondent to have sought third-party funding, and therefore determine that funding costs are recoverable. Conversely, a tribunal may determine that it's not reasonable for a claimant to recover funding costs in circumstances where it sought third-party funding simply to hedge its costs risk from the arbitration. Secondly, a tribunal might look at whether the actual amount of recoverable funding costs is reasonable. Following from that, what are some practical considerations for our listeners who are considering entering into third-party funding agreements? So going back to our definition of third-party funding, a funding agreement will typically require the funded party to not only reimburse the funder for the actual arbitration costs, but also to pay for the costs of that capital, for example, a conditional fee or a litigation funder's return. It may be difficult to classify the costs of before the event and after the event premiums as costs of the arbitration, even under a broad meaning of the term given by the UK High Court in SR. As after the event does not typically fund the claim, it is there to meet an adverse costs award, it may not be classified as a recoverable cost in arbitral proceedings. Before the event insurance for liability is not third-party funding per the terminology adopted in this podcast, since the insurer usually appears as the co-client of the insured's counsel when it defends against a claim, and substitutes the funded party altogether when pursuing a claim. When setting the return rate in a funding agreement, regard must also be had to the applicable procedural rules and whether the costs must be reasonably incurred in the arbitration. It should be noted that the court in SR found that an arrangement of the greater of three times the capital invested, or 35% of the claimant's recovery reflected in that case, to be standard market rates. 
other tribunals can, if necessary, hear evidence as to what constitutes standard market rates for a specific case. To conclude, it's not always easy to predict how an arbitral tribunal will ultimately approach the issue of funding recoverability. This will depend on a number of factors, including, first, the procedural matrix established by the arbitration law and rules and the definition of recoverable costs in the applicable national legislation and rules. Secondly, the factual matrix, including, first, the conduct of the parties, whether the parties had no other option but to seek funding to pursue its claim, and whether the other side knew that the funded party had funding. And finally, the criterion of reasonableness. Our next episode on Clifford Chance's Australian Arbitration podcast series will cover arbitrations involving third parties, and I'll be joined by Alexandra Zhu and Stephanie Brown. You have been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast by visiting cliffordchance.com and follow us on LinkedIn. The content of this podcast does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Specific legal advice about your specific circumstances should always be sought separately before taking any action.